Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Second hour of Inside Sports. Ulrich in for Wilkins tonight. We were uh, just joined by Al Hamilton in studio, so that was a treat. uh, Remembering Gordy Howe as he passes away today at the age of 88. We will continue our uh, Gordie Howe talk with uh, Jim Matheson here shortly uh, from the Edmonton Journal, the Hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, had a chance to cover the Oilers in the WHA days and uh, watched a lot of Gordie Howe. So we'll talk to uh, Jim about that. But first, uh, should mention Action Furnace. This segment is brought to you by Action Furnace, home with a fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. And we'll get to a quick uh, Crystal Glass scoreboard update. Brought to you by Crystal Glass for all your glass needs. Call 310-GLASS today. Uh, The Blue Jays in action right now against uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Tied up at three, top of the seventh. At the uh, Euro Cup earlier today, France beating Romania. And uh, the NBA Finals continue. Game uh, four tonight in Cleveland. That game just about to get underway. Uh, Cleveland down 2-1 in the series, but coming off a commanding game three victory. That's your uh, crystal glass scoreboard. We bring aboard Jim Matheson. Jim, how are you doing tonight? Good. I heard uh, I was listening to the show, uh, the drive home at at 1 o'clock, and you were talking, you had Halsey there, and you were talking about some person who had texted you and said, why are you spending two hours talking about some 80 or 88-year-old guy? <laughs> what an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I well. totally agree with Halsey. I'm sorry. And I am somewhat older than this 48-year-old, but part of being a hockey fan is to look at history. I mean, there are other players in the world, but Sidney Crosby, I'm sorry. I mean, if you're 48 years old, you're not 20. You should know something about Gordie Howe, and I totally agree with Brian. And um, that was a pretty dumb thing that that guy said, as far as I could see. Yeah, uh, well, he uh, <laughs> we gave it to him a bit. Uh, he texted him after, and I think uh, he felt a little silly about what he said. Didn't really mean it that way, I guess, is the way he explained it. But still, I mean, we can only talk about the Oilers and uh, the trade rumors and that so much, Jim. On a day like today, when something like this happens, a guy that meant so much to the game of hockey on and off the ice, uh, he deserves some airtime. And uh, I'm sorry, that's basically what I said. But you know what, it sounds callous, but you know, and he, he was in ill health for some time, but he, but he passed away today. Are you supposed to then say, well, we're not talking about him. We're only yeah. going to give him the usual 20-minute interview if we're talking to somebody on the phone. That's all we're giving him. It's Gordie Howe. It'd be no different if 
if, you know, 30 years from now, Wayne Gretzky was in ill health and he passed away, or Bobby Orr. I mean, it's no different. They're the three greatest players of all time. And, and uh, you know, like I said, if you don't, if you don't know something about Gordie Howe and you think that you're, you know, spending two hours talking about Gordie Howe, then go to the library and find some books about Gordie Howe. Well, speaking of a crazy, and he may thing. say he was—he didn't mean it that way, but that's yeah. kind of like—that's like somebody saying it's a misquote. I was misquoted, or I was, you know, taken out of context. But I'm sure the fellow felt different. It felt badly now, but you know, Gordy Howe was Gordy Howe. Well, speaking of uh, crazy things, um, I'm sure you know who Bob Ryan is, uh, your fellow uh, yep. scribe as well. Uh, he had some interesting comments today on Twitter that uh, sparked a lot of people. I'm not sure if you've seen them, what he had to say, I Jim. I seen them, not what he said. Uh, here's what he had to say. I have his two tweets here. If you want to know how great Gordie Howe was, ask uh, Bobby Orr, the greatest player of all time. No, not Gretzky. Looked up to number nine. Sorry, Gretzky lovers, but the truth hurts. Orr slash Howe, or Howe slash Orr were the goats, um, greatest of all time. You got to hit or be hit in hockey, and Wade did. Wayne did neither. So... I don't think Bobby Orr did much hitting either. So it's nice that Ryan said that, and and then, you know, and I agree that Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky and and Gordy Howe are the three greatest players of all time, and and uh, I'm biased. But when I was talking to Wayne today, I said that I I would consider you the best player of all time. But Wayne emphatically said that you know he'll go to his his deathbed saying that. Uh, Gordie Howe is the greatest player who ever lived, and if Wayne Gretzky sang it, that's enough for me. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, I, I received an interesting text earlier on Oilers Now. Somebody said without uh, Gordie Howe, there would be no Wayne Gretzky. And uh, part of that is true, uh, just based on the fact that you know Wayne grew up watching and adoring the guy and uh, went on to do great things. I think if he still played the game, all that would have still been the same. But there is uh, some truth in that statement. Well, I think I, I think Wayne Gretzky would have been still Wayne Gretzky without Gordie Howe. But I think meeting Gordie Howe and having Gordie, you know, in some unofficial way, mentor him as to how to act and such like that as a professional hockey player. I think that Wayne took that to heart and uh, he saw the way that Howe played the game and how he, you know, acted off the ice. And I think Wayne has, has tried to do the same thing and did try to do the same thing when he was a player. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there's something to that. I think Wayne would have been a great player without Gordie Howe, you know, showing him some stuff. But I think certainly they are intertwined. And and when you meet somebody at 10 years old or 10 or 11 or how old Wayne was at that Bankley in Bradford, uh, I'm sure it sticks sticks with you. And and uh, you know, Wayne is different than a lot of hockey players. Though Wayne you know, is a historian of the game, and, you know, so Wayne would be able to look back at the, at not just the, you know, the Gordie Howes, but the Jean Bellavos and the, you know, Maurice Richards and, and you know, the great players from that era and, and realize that while they played in a different era, they're still great, great hockey players. Jim Matheson joining us from uh, the Edmonton Journal. Uh, I noticed your tweet this morning, Jim. Um, well, two tweets about uh, Gordie Howe. You, me, are mentioning Gretzky meeting uh, 
Gordy Howe at a young age. You had the chance to uh, meet Gordy Howe at a young age as well when you were 12 years old uh, at a golf tournament. I did. I had a golf tournament. I was at, he was actually working for Eaton's uh, as a spokesman. They had a line of sporting goods in the Eaton's department stores, and Gordy was their spokesman. And in the summers, Gordy would go across the country and and you know speak and you know, sign autographs and such like that. And he showed up one day in Winnipeg, and my father was the sports editor at the Winnipeg Tribune, and uh, he was going to do a story, and I tagged along with him, and Gordy was there to golf, and he asked me if I wanted a caddy, and I, I, I didn't turn him down, so <laughs> I, I caddied for him, and uh, he was a really good player, and when he got to the end of the 18, he played so well, he wanted to play another 18, and that bag of that I was carrying was a little on the heavy side, and I was thinking to myself, I love this, but that bag's pretty heavy, and he said, ah, just kidding, so he, really, he only did 18, but yeah, that was one of my highlights, and, and uh, he was very nice, very you know, just the way you'd expect him to be off the ice, uh, off and really nice gentleman. Well, uh, Brian Hall was raving about how good of a golfer he was. Uh, just yeah, he overall, was a, a great player. athlete. He shot in the mid seventies, you know, at St. Saint Charles Country Club, which is kind of Winnipeg's Mayfair. And yeah, he was a really good player, and, and uh, like a lot of hockey players are, they're good golfers. And, and uh, you know, then you know, then he. Came to play in the World Hockey Association when I moved to Edmonton. So um, it was you know, about 15 years after the fact that I was actually covering him playing games too. So I thought that was I thought I was a little blessed to be covering Gordy Howe, you know, even if it was the World Hockey, not the NHL. Yeah, did you get a chance to meet him on any other occasions after that? Uh, I met him uh, at several NHL functions uh, where he would be there. Um, you know, and, and I wrote lots of stories about, you know, the world hockey and playing with his boys and, and stuff like that. And, you know, playing with, with Wayne and Mark Howe, uh, in the WHA Select, um, versus the Russian series, uh, in Wayne's one and only WHA year, 78, 79. So that was interesting too. I mean, yeah, he was, I wouldn't say he was, I mean, different if I covered him and, you know, he played on the team that I was working, you know, as a newspaper man, it'd be different. And I, so I didn't see him day after day after day, but, uh, you know, he certainly knew who I was and I was grateful to be covering him. Great stories on uh, Gordie Howe with uh, Jim Matheson here on uh, Inside Sports. Uh, let's switch focus a bit here, Jim. Um, we're waiting for some movement. Uh, in regards to the Oilers, uh, I know you wrote a piece today uh, on Milan Lucic. Um, and I think, well, from what I've heard and what uh, people have been saying on this show, such as Bob Stoffer and other people that know more more than I do, is that uh, there would be mutual interest if uh, he hits the open market. Um, and at this point, that looks like, uh, well, I don't see how LA can afford him right now. So... At this point, it looks like he will be a free agent. Um, if he was out there, how much would you be willing to offer if you were the Oilers? Or would you be comfortable offering? Well, it wouldn't be my money. It would be Daryl Casey's yeah. money. So he can offer whatever he <laughs> feels like offering. My well, say you were Peter uh, Shirelli. Well, I think if I was Peter, I'd still be cautious in terms of the term. Uh, I think the money 
the salary is one thing, but I don't think you want to sign a player who's you know been a power forward uh, and has played a robust style for too long because those sort of players, one day they're really good players, the next day you're saying, geez, he's kind of slow. And that's, you know, that's happened to a lot of players who play that sort of game. So, I mean, I'd give them a five-year contract and I'd give them the $6 million a year or a little bit more than that. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd sign him for more than five years, and I think LA would would maybe give him four. So you could certainly get more, you know, term from the orders. The problem is if you're going to sign Lucic and give him six million a year, that then you have to trade one of your other six million dollar dollar players. You can't have Lucic and Hall and Eberle and Nugent Hopkins making twenty four million dollars, and and then Connor McDavid's contract is going to be coming up. You know, in another year, after his second year in the league, you're going to be wanting to sign him to a long-term contract for certainly more than six million a year. So that's a little much. So I mean, it's there's lots of balls in the air, and and I guess it comes down to the moves Peter Shirelli is going to be making in terms of trading one of his forwards for a defenseman who's making the six million dollars will be at the draft before free agency happens. So whatever happens there, then that will impact what he does to Lucic if if L.A. can't sign him. And if he's managed to trade, you know, he decides he wants to trade, you know, Nugent Hopkins or Everly or Hall to get a defenseman, uh, then he's got a defenseman making good money, but it's a different position than paying all the money to the to the forwards. And then, you know, if that happens, then the presumably be money for Lucic and you know like I said I'm kind of torn on that I I think he's a really good player I think he can offer the owners a lot the problem is the game in the NHL changes all the time big was in when the LA Kings are winning Stanley Cups and big has been in in the Western Conference for some time you know to use the cliche they play a heavy game but when you watch Pittsburgh in the Stanley Cup final it's a smaller fast team and maybe you need, you're going to need players like that. The game keeps changing. Whatever team wins, the other teams say, well, we can't be this team then. If you're a heavy team, then we better be a fast team. So uh, I think it kind of comes down to what Peter Shirelli sees, not just for now, but how the, the NHL will be in a couple of years and whether Lucic would still fit in. Yeah, well... That's a that's a good point. And you look at Pittsburgh. If you're the Oilers, maybe you're saying we should try to be like Pittsburgh. Okay, you have McDavid. There's Crosby. You have Drysdale. Maybe that's like Malkin, and then Nugent Hopkins like a Benino. So you have the three centers, and uh, you have the superstar McDavid, such as a Crosby. So maybe that's the formula you try to go after. Uh, I don't maybe know. Maybe that's the formula, and it, it certainly has been fairly successful in the finals. I mean, Pittsburgh has played better than San Jose in this, and San Jose's managed to win two games, but I don't think San Jose's played one game yet where you can say, oh, they were thoroughly dominant and beat the Penguins. You know, they won a game in overtime, and they won a game where their goalie made 44 saves, so I think they got a ways to go, and they play a different style than Pittsburgh. What Pittsburgh has that the Oilers don't have is they have Chris Letang, and yeah. the Oilers don't have a number one defenseman. You need that, too, and that's what Peter Shirelli's trying to get, so um, you know, I you know, and he's got to get one of those. I mean, I don't. You, all of we were talking Lucic, and and it seems like one of those. Oh, this sounds great. 
but it's one more addition of a forward and a winger. You know, and the orders are so have been so top heavy in wingers, and now they've got some good centers, but they they haven't got the defenseman. And if you don't have the defenseman, it doesn't matter how many forwards you got. Yeah, it should be a fascinating offseason. Can't wait. To, well, I hope the Stanley Cup final uh, does go to seven games, but uh, after that we should expect uh, some noise, so we'll see what happens. Make the call quickly. Uh, does Pittsburgh uh, wrap this thing up on Sunday? Um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it has an eerily uh, similar situation to the Edmonton Oilers and the Carolina Hurricanes mm. in 2006 where the Oilers won Game 5 on Fernando Pizzani's overtime uh, shorthanded goal and then kicked Carolina's butt in Game 6 in Edmonton and then had to go all the way back to Carolina, and Carolina managed to win the game 3-1. to one. So I think there's every possibility you can get to a seventh game. But San Jose has to play like Edmonton played in 2006 in their home barn and, you know, play really well and not just try to get through the game and, and win by one. So they gotta, they got to start looking like San Jose. they got to start looking like a team that beat, you know, all those powerhouses in the West to get where they are. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jim, appreciate it. Thanks for taking oh. some time on your Friday night. I know uh, you have some other things uh, cooking, so... <laughs> Thanks for taking some time. I don't have anything cooking because I'm not really good in the kitchen. But... <laughs> well, I mean, you're out and about doing some things. so Yeah, that's true. There you go. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Take it okay, easy, man. Take care. Bye-bye. That's the Hockey Hall of Famer, Jim Matheson, joining us here on Inside Sports. Always good to catch up with Matty. 7.22. We'll take a timeout. Uh, we'll get to some of your text messages. 630, 6.30. 780-496-0063 is the call-in number. Remembering Gordy Howe, if you want to talk Oilers, you know what? I'm feeling good. I'll talk trade rumors and proposals if you want because I've had a break from it for, for the day. On Oilers now, it's been like a month. We've been taking all these topics about trade rumors, this and that, and after a while, you know, you get a little frustrated. But now I'm rejuvenated because we've been talking about the great Gordy Howe today, and it's it's got me all excited and fired up. So 6.30, 6.30, anything you want, it's fair game here on Inside Sports. Hi, this is Taylor Hall from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6.30, Chad. Taylor Hall bringing us back here on Inside Sports. All work in for Reed Wilkins tonight. Uh... That was Taylor Hall's voice, of course, and uh, we were talking about Milan Lucic, and here's the thing. You have to be interested in Milan Lucic, but if it means trading Taylor Hall, then I uh, get a little concerned. Um, if it means you keep Taylor Hall and you have Hall and Lucic as your top two left wingers, then okay, I'm interested. And then maybe you send Kachuk back to a junior for a year if you draft him, which is uh, at this point of time seeming more and more likely. 6.30, if you'd like to chime in on that. And I was talking about how I'm open for trade business. This is the text I get. Trade Yakupov for Tyler Myers or Ekman Larson. That's it. No more trade talk for the night. <laughs> That's why after day in and day out when you get crazy trade rumor, trade texts all the time, you uh, get a little 
weary of wanting to talk about it. But it's 727 Edmonton, we will talk CFL. Morley Scott will join us after the news and Jock Wilson out of Calgary to set up this weekend's Battle of Alberta. This is Inside Sports. You're listening to 6.30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. We're back on Inside Sports Friday Night Edition. All work in for Reed Wilkins. Feel like jamming now. This song is getting me going a bit. <laughs> uh, we should mention Action Furnace. Brought to you our, this segment with uh, Morley Scott coming up and Jock Wilson as well as we get set for tomorrow's preseason game is brought to you by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. Before we get to Morley, um, there has been a trade in the NHL tonight, albeit a minor one. Um, Elliot Friedman earlier saying... The Devils and the Panthers were working on a deal where New Jersey takes Mark Savard's cap hit plus a 2018 second-round pick for Paul Thompson and Graham Black. So basically, Florida gives up a second-round pick in order to get rid of uh, Savard's cap hit, which is $4.1 million, although he is retired. His salary is actually $550K. He's not playing, so basically they get rid of him, and uh, they give up a second-round pick. So now they have $4 million in cap space. So perhaps uh, Florida is going to follow that up with another move to bring in some salary. Who knows what Florida is doing uh, these days. They have a whole new management team, uh, lots of changes, and that's a team that uh, had a great season, so I'm not sure why they're making changes. Of course, they traded Gabranson already, so it seems like they're a team on the rise. Not sure why they're uh, trying to make so many changes. But uh, we have a trade, I guess, to talk about, and we'll have more soon. Just quickly, do you think it's a case of keeping up with the Joneses? Because yeah. you know that Washington's probably going to get better for next year. You know that you know, the Islanders will probably attempt to be better for next year. Do you think this is just a, a, a chance to be better? Yeah, well, I think Florida's just going to get better because they're so young. Like, Barkov's only going to get better. Ekblad, they're set. So, yeah, right. they knew to keep up, though, so that's a good point. But we'll see what happens. They have $4 million in cap space to do something now. Uh, lots going on in the sporting world today uh, with Gordie Howe passing away at the uh, age of 88. NBA Finals continue. Game four on right now. Golden State and Cleveland. Golden State up 27-25 right now, late in the first quarter. Uh, we finally have a game in the series. All three games have been blowouts so far. Uh, so it looks like this one uh, will keep your interest throughout the evening here. And uh, the CFL season just around the corner as well. So with the NHL season coming to a close, the CFL season about to start. And Morley Scott, that means, uh, well, he's been busy. Really, really busy with training camp. But uh, now the traveling begins as well, Morley, who's out in Calgary right now. What's going on? How are you, Brendan? Great. Second time I've uh, had the chance to talk to you today, so that makes my night even better. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, uh, traveling has begun. Uh, uh, the Eskimos will leave the, on uh, preseason time. The Eskimos, the, the CFL teams just travel in game day and travel out game day. 
so they won't leave until tomorrow. They had their final walkthrough today at Commonwealth Stadium, and we'll uh, travel here by bus tomorrow to take on the Stampeders tomorrow night, uh, 5.30 for the pregame show, 7 o'clock for the kickoff from McMahon Stadium. Has uh, Dave Campbell joined you yet? I believe he is en route, as they say. <laughs> well, I'm sure he was listening to uh, Inside Sports, but <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, a mix-up, and uh, Dave was lining up um, Al Hamilton for the show, and uh, he was booked for 6.30. Didn't know he was coming in studio, though, so I was surprised that he showed up here. Oh! I thought he was, as far as Dave told me, he was supposed to be on the phone, but he showed up in studio, so yeah. Hey, Give nothing. Dave a pat on the back for that one, or a shot on the back when you see him. Excellent. I will do that. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny, but uh, yeah. Uh, let's talk some football, though, because um, I can only talk Oiler trade rumors for so long, Marley. You know I'm just <laughs> dying and waiting to finally be on that sideline for uh, the Eskimos next weekend for that preseason game and uh, the season just around the corner. So what's uh, going on with uh, training camp here as we get set for uh, the first preseason game? Well, first preseason game is always it's kind of a weird animal because both teams are going to dress probably over 70 players. Um, you're going to see starters and veterans that are dressed in the game. You're going to see them for a couple of series, and then you're going to see a bunch of players who you uh, will either see lots of later on this year or you, will, you might never hear from again. Uh, they'll be then rotated through in uh, various positions. Uh, lots of players uh, dressed at certain positions uh, for the Eskimos. I know just looking at my depth chart here, one, two, three, four, five running backs are dressed for the Eskimos. Uh, starting with John White, you'll see his first action uh, since uh, 2014 after missing all of last year. Akeem Shavers, Shakir Bell, uh, Joe McNally, Greg Morris also dressing uh, in uh, in the game tomorrow. So uh, that's one position they'll be looking at. Uh, they got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, linebackers dressed for the game as well. So they'll be looking at those guys. Uh, there's a few positions that I think they'll really, really be looking hard at. Uh, they got to make a decision at running back with a lot of quality guys there, as I mentioned. Uh, they got to make a decision in the return game, which will be interesting because uh, we'll see a lot of Jacoby Ford and McKnight as uh, the returners in the game tomorrow. And they're, uh, you know, Ford's a, Ford's a receiver and a returner. McKnight's uh, running back and a returner. So there's that kind of mix, too. they got to decide if they keep one of them as the returner, where do they fit on the roster for the offense as well. So lots of decisions to be made. That's on offense. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, they got to figure out a guy to replace uh, Willie Jefferson. And it, 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 it could be Reuben Frank. It could be Burnett. Uh, there are a couple of guys who are going to start. Could also uh, could also be another couple of guys. Sam Montgomery could be in the mix as well. So there's some guys to look at, and they'll all rotate through tomorrow. Uh, the defensive backfield is kind of interesting, Brendan, because uh, Marcel Young's the only guy there right now who played at the end of last year. Everybody else is either, in Aaron Grimes' case, gone to the uh, NFL or uh, with uh, John Ojo, Pat Watkins, um, and uh, and uh, Kochi Mwamba. Uh, injured and possibly not playing. Ojo's on the roster or uh, on the depth chart, but don't know if he's going to see any action out. The other guys I mentioned are not, so uh, they've got to make some decisions there depending on how serious the injuries are. They have to figure that out first and then make some decisions on whether they're going to have to have some other starters ready for uh, in two weeks' time when they open up the regular season. So lots to be decided still. Uh, and then, of course, next week in, in the second preseason game, it's always it's the veterans pretty much right into the third quarter. Uh, as they get to play the first half, get a feel for things, do some halftime adjustments, and then 
get a sit down uh, after the first or second series of the third quarter. Lots to uh, follow up with you uh, on that uh, as we break down training camp and the Eskimos' uh, first preseason game. Um, let's start with the quarterbacks because, uh, first of all, it's a new offense. Um, I know Mike Riley can control the offense, and maybe some will be the same based on what he did last year, but he didn't play a lot in the preseason last year. With the new offense here, uh, how much will we see Mike Riley this preseason? More, way more. Uh, he will uh, start tomorrow. And he'll play probably two series, and then he'll give way to James Franklin. But uh, we'll see a lot of him uh, in game number two next week. I would think right through to the right through the first half of play. Uh, yeah, Riley needs to. This is kind of twofold. And talking to Jason Moss about this, he said, "Yeah, he, I want him to play. I want to learn the new offense, but I want to coach it too. They've got to get to know each other in a coaching." Uh, coach-quarterback mm. relationship in-game. So they need to get that kind of relationship going as well. So that'll be uh, that'll be one reason why Roddy plays. Another reason is he just wants to play more. He wants to get a feel for this new offense. Uh, it, it's a new offense, but it's kind of the same offense, but done a little bit differently. Uh, the genesis of the offense comes from Scott Milanovic, who's the head coach uh, of the Toronto Argonauts. He was the uh, offensive coordinator in Montreal when he and Chris Jones were first together, and that's when Jones latched onto that offense, and, and Steve McAdoo and uh, uh, Jason Moss worked for Scott Milanovic in Toronto as well on, on his coaching staff, and he took it to Ottawa and made a few changes. Now he's come to Edmonton and likely making a few changes as well. So the genesis of the offense uh, is is the same. Uh, there's some different terminology and a few things added here and taken out there. So uh, there's not a, a, a ton of stuff to relearn. It's just how they do it is different. And that's the one thing Eskimo fans will notice more than anything else is is the, the quick play, the no-huddle offense with, with the offense getting right up to the line of scrimmage and Riley barking up the plays and yelling at guys to get into position and getting the play to them, and then they go. They want to really go fast and try and keep the defense uh, on their toes and get them tired as the game wears up. Marley Scott joining us here uh, on Inside Sports. Uh, it seems like uh, the last couple training camps for uh, the Eskimos, there's always been these standout players that uh, come out of nowhere. I know Darrell Walker had some strong moments last year. I remember lots of talk about John Ojo even, and he had a pretty good season as well. Then you go back to McCoy. All these guys they find, uh, and then they step in and uh, produce here in the CFL. Who are we seeing that might be that guy this year, if there is a guy, Marley? Well, uh, those guys kind of develop as the preseason uh, games hit, so we'll start to a little bit get more on, on that tomorrow. But I think one guy uh, to watch for is that uh, uh, the outside linebacker spot on the wide side, They're formerly called the, the Sam linebacker spot, now under Mike Benavides' defense, it's called the nickelback. And I think that's where uh, they may have a, a budding star in Kenny Ladler, who has uh, really had a good camp. Uh, Mike Benavides likes him. Jason Moss has talked this week about him, and he likes him. Uh, and he'll get his first opportunity to play in uh, in a game situation tomorrow. He spent some time with the Buffalo Bills last year and uh, went to Vanderbilt uh, for uh, university football. And uh, he's got uh, Jason Moss said he's got the the perfect body shape for that position. He's 6'1", 207 pounds, and uh, he's a guy who's got good speed, so he can be that cover guy if he has to drop back into the defensive backfield with the DBs, which that position does a lot. But he's also uh, you know, got some strength and, and agility too, so he can be a, a pressure guy if they want him to be as well. But uh, he's had a good camp, and I think a lot of people on the defensive side of the ball looking forward to seeing him tomorrow. Uh, Morley, before uh, we let you go, um, Gordy Howe. We've been talking about him a lot here yeah. throughout the day. Uh, just tragic. I, I've made this point based on how tough he was. I know he's 
had some health problems. I just found it hard to imagine him ever passing away. And I think a lot of people today are just, you know, it. He's finally gone. Like it's tough. Yeah, to, it's, it's tough. It's to funny, get. Brendan. You know, guys like Muhammad Ali and and Gordy Howe, they're so big and strong and and larger than life throughout. Uh, you know, the the years when they play their sport and they become the idols that they are that it's hard to imagine them getting sick and frail and old and tired. And, and that's exactly what happened to these two guys over over the years. And uh, it's it's rather unfortunate we lose them both in the same week, which is tragic. But uh, Gordy House uh, is a great loss for hockey because he's such a great ambassador. I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky because I got to work for Gordy Howe for a year. Uh, I was uh, with the Vancouver Giants back in the 09-10 season. Gordy Howe, of course, is a part owner of the Giants, and, and he comes out a couple times a year and spends time with the staff and, and the players, and they have a night for him uh, at the arena as well. And, and a, night, a day that I won't forget is the day he came out to uh, the practice facility in Vancouver uh, waiting to talk to the Giants players. He sat in a room with, with, with me. Uh, one of his sons was there. Um, couple other guys from the organization were there. There's about five or six of us there, and we just sat there for over an hour and listened to Gordy tell stories, and it was one of the best days of my life uh, as a hockey fan because he just told so many great stories about so many great players, and he'd answered every question. Like, you had a question about a guy, he'd talk about him for you, uh, and that's the, the beautiful thing about Gordy Howe is that uh, he had time for everybody. He would always be willing to stop, get that picture taken, sign an autograph, tell a story, uh, shake a hand, whatever it was, he was always willing to do uh, what he had to do as a great ambassador to the game. So yeah, he's, he's going to be he's going to be sadly missed for sure. Uh, great, great player. I watched uh, a couple of uh, uh, stuff a little bit on YouTube today of him, and, and I didn't see him play a lot because you know by the time I really can remember the hockey I watched, he was just getting near the end. Uh, but uh, when you watch the videos uh, and some of the plays you make are just incredible, and he's so strong. And just such a, a dominating force on his skates. I don't know if you saw Brendan the the video of the last goal he scored in the NHL. Yeah, uh, it was a great video because I mean it was at the Montreal Forum and Danny Gallivan was doing the play by play, so it was, it was great nostalgia. And it was a just basically a backhanded slap shot that just beat everybody. It was just a rocket shot on the backhand while a guy was draped on top of him. Uh, he was he was a great great player and a great, great man, and he's going to be sadly missed by a lot of people. Yeah, we actually opened the show with uh, that uh, goal call, his last There you go. Goal. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, Morley, um, what's up for tomorrow? When does the pregame show start? Uh, we're on at uh, 5.30 tomorrow from uh, McMahon Stadium. Myself and Dave Campbell will have uh, uh, Blake Dermott coming in on the telephone uh, from Edmonton to talk to us a little bit on the pregame show, and uh, they'll kick it off at uh, 7 o'clock. Mike Riley will get the start for the Eskimos. Bo Levi Mitchell for the Stampeders. Don't know how far either one of them will go. Not very deep, I would think, into the first quarters we've talked about. But uh, we'll get to see a lot of football players tomorrow as the Eskimos and Stampeders suck up first preseason game for both teams. Well, we will find out from uh, Jock Wilson next here on Inside Sports how long Bo Levi Mitchell will play. So, all right, look forward to that. Thanks, Marley. Say hi to Jock. Will do. Morley Scott, play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Eskimos, joining us from Calgary here on Inside Sports. A um, couple quick text messages here to get to. What about trading Nuge and Yak to Columbus for number three and Savard? Then sign Lucic from Rob. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if Nuge gets you the third pick. I know Nuge was the former number one pick, but this is different. With the expansion draft, the picks are worth so much more right now. 
So I know Columbus is looking for a center, and maybe they're not sold on uh, Poliarvi. We've heard some reports on that. Maybe they're looking to trade down to get Logan Brown. I don't know. That is interesting, though. I mean, there might be a dialogue to start a, a conversation for a trade. And another one comes in, would Eberle and the fourth pick be enough for the second pick? So, oh, things are picking up from Greaser. Ah, geez. Would Winnipeg want to take on $6 million? Uh, it depends how much they, they feel about Patrick Lane. Is he Matthew's caliber? Then I would say no, they wouldn't which uh, I believe is what Winnipeg thinks right now. I mean, Patrick Lene, if he was a center, he'd probably be the number one pick, but he's a winger, so Matthews is going first overall. Jeez, these ones make you think, but I love that we're getting some legit trade proposals. But things like this just don't usually happen, so that's why I always say no to things like this, because you don't usually see trades like that go down, especially due to the salary cap reasons and the expansion draft and all that. So, But hey, it's fun to talk about. 7.50 in Edmonton. This is Inside Sports Action Furnace. Home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. When we come back, we'll get to your crystal glass scoreboard and we will bring aboard Jock Wilson out of Calgary. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Back here on Inside Sports, all Rick in for Reed Wilkins. You will hear from Reed, though, in the 8 o'clock hour because, uh, of course, he was part of the Goodbye Rexel documentary that we will air um, from 8 to 9. And we've had a lot of requests from people that missed it. There are some people that. Uh, only caught parts of it when we aired it the first time. So we're airing it again. And it's a fantastic job by Dean Vince, who was uh, producing it, and uh, Reed Wilkins as well involved uh, in the production of Rexall's Last Stand. So that's ahead here on this Friday night, and uh, you can listen to that. But first, we'll get to our Crystal Glass scoreboard. It's brought to you by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call 310-GLASS today. Uh, we'll start with the NBA here. We have a game. Golden State up 34-33 on Cleveland in Game 4. And if you watched Game 3, you would have thought that, uh, okay, Cleveland is going to uh, blow out Golden State again, much like uh, Golden State blew out uh, the Cavs in the first two games. But LeBron James was all over the court in Game 3, just a monster out there. It was incredible. And now we have a game here. 37-35, Golden State up. Uh, in Cleveland. Almost a must-win for Cleveland here. If they can tie this, then we have a, a series. Uh, NHL action resumes on Sunday, Game 6, in San Jose. Major League Baseball action tonight. Toronto Blue Jays uh, hosting Baltimore. This one uh, going to extra innings. Tied 3-3 after 9. And it's a big game for Toronto. Five and a half games back of Baltimore for the division lead. And Baltimore beat them last night. So we'll see if the Blue Jays can pull that one off. And uh, the Euro Cup going on. Not a lot of buzz about the Euro Cup. I haven't heard a lot about it. And uh, it started today. France beating Romania. You a big soccer fan, Kellen? Nope. 
Not yeah, in the me, me not either. The so maybe that's why. But there was more buzz for the Copa than there was for the uh, uh, Euro. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's because we're, you know, the Americas and that's what the Copa is, but I don't know. You know, Bob always loves talking soccer. He hasn't talked about it at all. Oh, okay. So that's yeah. how you know it's sort of losing the buzz. I don't know. I guess we'll... This weekend, I'm sure lots of people will be watching soccer, but... There you go. Lots of people will be uh, watching and... Uh, well, listening, I guess, because this game isn't on TV. <laughs> Eskimos and Stampeders. But uh, we'll be here on 6.30. Ched, uh, the Eskimos taking on Calgary. And uh, we had a chance to talk with Jock Wilson earlier. And uh, much like the Eskimos, who have a new coach, a former quarterback in the league, uh, Calgary has Craig Dickinson as their new head coach. And, of course, he was their offensive coordinator, so he moves over to head coach. When you become the head coach, there's... Uh, more to it than just calling the plays. And here's uh, what Jock had to say about his transition. Yeah, you know, it's a great question because John Huffnagel, you know, and I'm biased again here too, I think John Huffnagel was the most respected uh, coach in the Canadian Football League and his track record, you know, the winningest coach over the last eight years. So when you lose somebody with that resume, it, it, it is going to be a transition in the dressing room. Now, Dave Dickinson, obviously, he was the apprentice. He was grooming under a John Huffnagel. You know, John Huffnagel is still here, and uh, Dave Dickinson can certainly lean on Huff if he needs to. But I think it's really important. And what you have noticed in this training camp is John Huffnagel, even though he's been around the odd time, he, he doesn't want to, you know, be a distraction. So he has sort of, you know, stayed away from the field as much as he can. And he's got the president's role now and the general manager's role. So he is really letting, you know, Dickie do his thing. And I think that's important because, you know, you're a new head coach, you, you know, you're instituting your own offense, you're going to have some highs, you're going to have some lows, you've got a new defensive coordinator, you know, you've got some new players that you're dealing with. So I think Huff has handled it really well. And I, and I do believe that Dave Dickinson has handled it really well. Now, will there be some low points this season? Yeah, you know, after a couple of losses, I'm sure we're going to see a different side of Dave Dickinson. But right now, kind of like Jason Moss in Edmonton, saying and doing all the right things. The Battle of Alberta this weekend. CFL preseason action. Both teams won't play again until Labor Day, so it means something for both these teams. The two best teams likely out west in the CFL. Thanks for helping out, Kellen. No problem. Rexels. Busy weekend and uh, sports-wise, oh, yeah. so keep listening. We'll hope that uh, we have a Game 7 on Wednesday. We'll find out on Sunday. Um, Rexall's Last Stand will air after the 8 o'clock news here with uh, Thomas Dias. Looking forward to that. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Enjoy the weekend. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.